Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zarrars. And today, we get to have a really fun conversation about the Southeastern Conference of the Football Bowl Series. I'm very excited for this upcoming SEC season, and I'm going to give you a few reasons why. We're going to bounce around a little bit. We'll cover the big dogs, some of the mid-pack teams that might be able to make some noise, and then some of the lucky dogs who, if the recipe is right on some given day, might be able to knock off one of those big dogs. That that That's one of the things that makes college football beautiful. You don't have to be a particularly good team. You can just have the right situational factors arise on any given day. And before you know it, you're Missouri and you just beat LSU. Yeah, last year's LSU team wasn't very good. But for a Missouri team that's kind of been mired for a long time in that lower tech lower tier of the pecking order that meant a lot to that fan base and that's one of the things that's beautiful about college football and as the week progresses the season progresses big weekend already on the horizon you get georgia clemson to get that's just your appetizer you get penn state wisconsin at noon you get georgia clemson at about i believe it's 7 30 that'll be the abc game you get LSU, UCLA, Miami, uh, Miami, Alabama, and then on Sunday you get Notre Dame, Cincinnati. It's a good schedule to get get the beak wet for college football. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. There's a couple ways to do that. If you see the show on social media, give it a signal boost so other people can find it. Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you see it. Retweet, share, like, whatever, comment, whatever the hell you want to do to help other people find it, greatly appreciated. After that, subscribe to the show. Whatever podcasting platform you prefer, we're there. If you are an Apple user like most of the world because Apple controls the world, leave the show a review. Go to the show's page after you've subscribed. Scroll past our recent episodes underneath that going to be five clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. And if you have an extra minute after that, underneath that is a button. It has purple letters. It says, write a review. Leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. Any and all feedback helps. Gotta grow the show slowly but surely. We are gaining traction. Not as fast as I want to, but we are slowly but surely adding people to the conversation and trying to make the discourse a little bit smarter from a fan perspective. So, as I said in the episode last week where I kind of broke down the landscape of college football, the SEC is college football's premier conference. This is the conference that has put the most teams into the college football playoff. It's had four of the seven college football playoff winners. It is easily the most competitive conference in college football where there are multiple teams who have a chance of winning it every single year. This year is no different, even though it kind of seems like a clear one, two, and then a step down to the three and four. But for the most part, there is a realistic expectation a couple of teams can handle this. And it's also because some of these rivalry games you get on the schedule every single year are brutal. Even in years when, say, Auburn isn't particularly good, Alabama doesn't want to go to Jordan-Hare at the end of the year. You might. All it takes is one prayer in Jordan-Hare. Nick Marshall, I know Nick Marshall's name because of the magic of Jordan-Hare Stadium, is what I will say about that. So, we're going to talk about the best conference in college football, 
and have a really fun time doing it. I will see you guys in one second. And with that, we will get on into it. And the last time we saw a college football game during the 2020-2021 season, it ended with Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide raising that college football playoff championship trophy at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami after thoroughly thrashing a pretty decent, not great, but pretty decent Ohio State team. And we will start with the presumptive favorite. Alabama's over-under win total is 11.5. You're not leaving yourself a ton of room for error there, but we're talking about a certified NFL factory. They, meaning Alabama, will continue to graduate players at multiple positions to the NFL every single season. They had a quarterback, two receivers, a running back, an offensive tackle, a defensive back, all go in the first round several more players i believe another defensive back a linebacker go later on in the draft but at this point you you know that If, if you're familiar with college football in the slightest you understand that what alabama does is sell these high school players on getting prepared for the nfl under the stewardship of the best coach in college football and yes i say that as someone who's a pretty big lincoln riley pretty big ryan day pretty big Kirby Smart guy. Nick Saban is easily the best college football coach on the planet, and here's why. When Saban realized the other teams in the SEC were opening it up to an extreme level, not quite what you would call an air raid, what Texas Tech used to do, what Washington State used to do, but really opening things up and getting elite athletes on the outside. Saban did not stubbornly try to double down on defense and running the ball. He did not try to win another national title with a A.J. McCarron, with a Blake Sims, with a Jake Coker, the Jalen Hurts, those one-dimensional quarterbacks who couldn't run the type of offense requisite to win in today's college football. And I talked about this a lot on last week's show where I broke down the pecking order in college football. There is a reason it's the same four and five teams in the playoff every year. They have the best players because they recruit so well, and they run the best offenses. They run offenses that are designed to score as many points as quickly as possible. Every down is a passing down if you're forward thinking enough. That is the mindset Alabama went into last season with. And it got Mac Jones into the first round of the NFL draft. Going into last season, I expected Mac Jones to get drafted in the third or fourth round. I thought he was going to be a a, a statue in the pocket, not be able to make the guys around him better. And a lot of his highlight tape from last year is him throwing to wide open guys who just take the ball down the field with tons of yards after the catch. But he's looked reasonable in preseason for the Patriots. And... He's got decent footwork, his hips, he can really throw the ball, he gets it out quickly enough, and you do have to make the throws. Even if the guy is wide open, you do have to hit him. As a Giant fan, I've seen Daniel Jones miss a lot of wide open wide receivers, so I cannot take those for granted. But Alabama has firmly put 
the rest of the college football landscape on notice because it was already getting the best players when it was still winning with guys like A.J. McCarron, and they weren't making him throw a ton. They were riding Mark Ingram. They were riding Derrick Henry. They were riding Bo Scarborough. Whatever Alabama running back you want to talk about who went on to the NFL, you really, really don't even have to worry about it because that is the salt in the wound, is the Najee Harris dump-off that goes for 40 yards when Alabama's already winning by 25 points. I mean, Alabama was getting numbers for first-half spreads in the 20s some weeks last year. I believe I had Alabama minus 28.5 for the first half against Arkansas. That is how dominant of an offense Alabama had last year, and it will be an adjustment on a number of levels. Number one, the biggest one, Steve Sarkeesian is now the head coach at Texas. And for all of his warts as a head coach during his time at USC, Sark can fucking call offense. When you give good play callers, elite athletes, they will find a way to get them the ball in space, which is why I will pump the tires on Ole Miss a little bit later with Lane Kiffin. But what Sark did last year getting that kind of season out of all those guys on that offense, whether you talk about Najee Harris, you talk about Jalen Waddle before the injury, Devontae Smith, Jalen Mechie, hell, got Mac Jones looking pretty polished. I'm thoroughly convinced that as long as Alabama wants to be this dominant, they can be. I'm a little skeptical about Bill O'Brien calling offense. Uh, Bill O'Brien's entire game plan in Houston kind of fell apart once they didn't have anything resembling a defense and I don't know if Bill O'Brien can do this I'll be honest with you he has not coached at the college level since he bailed on Penn State back in 2014 a pretty unspectacular run at the NFL level a couple playoff appearances with Deshaun Watson nothing nothing to write home about you don't think of Deshaun Watson as, excuse me, Deshaun Watson, I've got the Texans on the brain. You don't think of Bill O'Brien as a cutting-edge scheme guy. You don't think of him sitting there all night drawing up plays to get the ball to playmakers in space. Alabama will probably be fine offensively, but it will be nowhere near as good as last year, where I say this as maybe the biggest Joe Burrow stand on the planet. Alabama's offense last year was probably better than the LSU offense the year before that won the national title and got Joe Burrow the Heisman. That is how dominant of an offense Alabama had last year. Just otherworldly stuff. And I gotta say, we don't know what we're gonna get out of Bryce Young. A little bit on the small side. Bryce Young is going to be the quarterback now, replacing Mac Jones. He's only 5'11", only 180 pounds, a little bit undersized. But at the college level, the height won't make that much of a difference. He's playing behind what's going to be a pretty good offensive line, throwing to what are good receivers and handing off to good running back. The defense, I'm curious to see if Saban kind of tries anything different because Alabama's defense was pretty mediocre last year, and granted, it didn't really matter because they could score as many points as they needed to when it won them every game. But it would be nice to see if Alabama can break through schematically in terms of solving this kind of offense that is everywhere in football now. And practicing against that offense should help in theory if Alabama's defense can find a way whether it's utilizing some kind of star formation where you're basically always going to have an extra defensive back 
down in the box to play the corner or the tight end. You're going to have your best defensive player floating around playing cover, playing wherever the ball goes as opposed to giving him something specifically. What the Rams did with Jalen Ramsey last year. What the Chargers did with Derwin James when he was healthy. The star, the moneybacker position, whatever you want to call it. That kind of floats around. What Buda Baker does with the Cardinals. Those kinds of players who are floating around down towards the line of scrimmage even though they're defensive back. I'm curious to say... Alabama going to be good. I mean, they have the highest projected over-under win law over-under in college football at 11 and a half out of everybody. And this is Alabama we're talking about here. Alabama's missed the playoff. I think four of the se- three of the seven years, two of the seven years. We're talking about a team that has mastered this system. And as long as there's no hiccups, no injuries, I mean, Hell, there's an argument to be made that if Tua doesn't get hurt two years ago and he's playing post-surgery against LSU at Tuscaloosa, Alabama's got a chance in that game. Yes, LSU ended up salting it away, Clyde Edwards-Alaire especially. Alabama was in that game. And if Tua doesn't make those turnovers because he's trying to improv, Alabama could have very easily won that game. Now, I got to say it here with caveat prerequisites i'm about to gas up the georgia bulldogs if you are not a college football person not a college football historian even if you are a present day college georgia has not won a national title since the 80s they have come painfully close a number of times they produce pretty much as much nfl talent as an ohio state as a alabama as a clemson as a texas a michigan any of the big schools you can think of that put several guys into the draft every single year, Georgia's one of them. Since Kirby Smart got there, Georgia recruits extremely well. They've consistently recruited inside the top ten, if you look at most of the uh, scouting services, whichever one you happen to prefer. Georgia recruits as well as anybody, so they've got the talent requisite to compete. And just as a refresher, they went to the national title game and lost to Alabama. That was the year they won the SEC. The year after that, they go to the SEC title game, have Alabama on the ropes. Jalen Hurts comes in for injured Tua. They win the game. Georgia's lost two big games in a row to Alabama. Year three, you go to the SEC title game, and Joe Burrow and LSU murders you out of existence there was not a team in college football that year that could have beaten lsu aside from the alabama team with the healthy Tua, which i had mentioned before when i was talking about alabama and then last year two losses they lost to florida and they lost to alabama the two best teams in the sec they hung on they survived against cincinnati in their sugar bowl game which was not the most amazing performance from georgia and it's going to be why i have such a caveat on this portion of the episode i am a firm believer that until you do something in sports i don't know that you can do it i was talking about this when i was talking about the giants last week it can't just be hoping that things work out for you georgia needs to aggressively aggressively play offense and try to score points every single time it touches the ball you cannot try to win games in, against elite teams 
by running the ball and playing defense. I know Georgia puts great running backs out into the league, Swift, DeAndre Swift, Todd Gurley, whoever you want to talk about. Georgia produces great, great running backs. They stat pad to hell. It goes back to Herschel Walker, Nosho Marino, all the great running backs who have come through there. We know Georgia can run the ball, and we know they can play defense. And Georgia's calling card under Smart has been the defense because he is a defense-first guy. He was Alabama's defensive coordinator. He was a defensive back when he played football, when Kirby Smart played football. We know the calling card will be the defense, and I imagine the defense probably takes a step back because they put five guys into the NFL, several defensive back, Aziz Ojulari, Owusu uh, Koromo, not Owusu Koromo, he's Notre Dame, excuse me, Aziz Ojulari, I'm sick, my brain just went to the 2021 draft, and I immediately started naming edge rushers, the ones I could think of. But yeah, graduated several defensive backs, I believe three of they're starting five in nickel and then Aziz Ojulari, their best edge rusher. So they're going to have to adjust back there. Probably be a bit of a learning curve, but with three different quarterbacks in a pandemic, Georgia only lost two games and those two games were to the clear two best teams in their conference. So at the very least, even if last year kind of felt like a wasted season for Georgia, they were able to make meaningful progress towards 2021 because they figured out who their quarterback is, and it's going to be JT Daniels, who started the last four games of the season for Georgia, including the bowl game. And if you don't remember JT Daniels, USC product, transfer, transferred to Georgia because he suffered a knee injury at USC, lost a job to Keenan Slovis. Funny story about that night, he actually got hurt. I had a, not a significant, I had a wager on USC that night. I, I figure, all right, uh, I trust JT Daniels. He's not bad. Uh, didn't work. I forgot who they I believe they were playing. It was early in the season. It was a non-conference game. I want to say they might have. that might have been the USC-Texas game, but that doesn't sound right. And the week after, I bet against USC because Keenan Slovis was starting for JT Daniels uh, starting for JT Daniels cuz JT Daniels tore his knee. I think all three ligaments ACL, PCL, uh, MCL and I thought, eh, they're starting a true freshman 18-year-old. And that motherfucker, Keenan Slovis won them the game and I lost two weeks in a row because of the USC quarterback room. That is frustrating. But en- enough of my diatribe here. JT Daniels has legitimate Heisman buzz. He's the only established quarterback with a significant, with not with a track record to really go off of of the serious teams in that conference, LSU going with a new quarterback, Alabama going with a new quarterback, Florida going with a new quarterback, JT Daniels returning, that's big. Continuity helps, especially, especially when the other teams you're going to be competing for an SEC title with do not have the same level of continuity. Full disclosure, I have a future for Georgia to win the SEC. And I know what you're saying. Nick, why would you do that? Don't you like money? Here's my reasoning. I think Georgia has as much talent as anyone. I think Georgia will play good enough defense to be competitive. It will come down to Kirby Smart understanding he needs to be aggressive on offense and they need to score enough points to win. If they can score enough points like they were doing down the stretch last season, I think Georgia can... hang with Alabama if not beat Alabama that is why I'm going to talk myself into this and they had a little bit of value as you know not the clear-cut favorite but one of the secondary favorites so 
I've been on Georgia for a while. I've felt this coming into the season. One of the few teams I felt a particular way about. Have Georgia. Have Iowa State. Have Iowa to win the Big Ten West. Maybe make a game against Ohio State. Yeah, I know. I, I get a little bit out there with my college football futures. But I like Georgia. I really like Georgia, and I'm going to be very mad at myself because I'm going to eat the cheese again on the Georgia preseason hype, and Kirby Smart is still going to be scared to throw the ball on first down. So, Georgia, I like to win the SEC. At the very least, I think they're going to get to Atlanta for the title game, and if they play Alabama there, they got some bad memories in that building. They've lost to Alabama twice in that building once in the national title game and then once then excuse me once in the sec title game so we will see we will see on georgia i'm waiting to see what happens there next the last team in this first tier of sec i gotta have jimbo fisher in texas a&m i don't feel as strongly about A&M this season as I did last year when they had Kellen Mons. They were bringing back a bunch of offensive linemen. They had a couple good edge rushers. I don't feel as strongly about A&M as a legitimate contender as I did last year. I think A&M can hang with these big boys, but going with a new quarterback, someone without a ton of a track, without a ton of track record, someone who sounds like an Abercrombie model at quarterback, Haynes King, that that's just someone that is someone who that is an Abercrombie, a Hollister model who wears USPA who should be an extra on Gossip Girl. That's what Haynes King sounds like. That is a Gossip Girl character. I do not know how this guy is going to play, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I watched four years of Kellen Mond in college and I still don't know if Kellen Mond was actually good. It's hard to judge. We saw Texas A&M win a lot of sloppy games last year, running the ball and playing good defense. That's certainly a viable path against the lesser teams. If you want to beat up on Arkansas, if you want to beat up on Mississippi State playing like that, sure, you can do that. Against Alabama, we saw what happened when Texas A&M tried to do that to Alabama last year. Alabama, I believe, beat them by three touchdowns because I'm pretty sure the spread was 19.5 and, and I had A&M that game. That was one of the more frustrating games of last season because the plays were there. Alabama's defense last season was not particularly good, and A&M could have pr- prosecuted the agenda a little more aggressively offensively, trying to put pressure on people, that put pressure on the Alabama defensive backs to make a play, but they didn't, and Alabama handled them pretty easily. I think Jimbo Fisher is one of the better coaches in college football. I think he's somewhere between probably 5 and 10. I think he's pretty capable of calling good offense. We, we've seen it at a number of spots. He was the coordinator for Les Miles back in the day at LSU when Les Miles and LSU was winning national championships. We know Jimbo is going to be able to do that. But similarly to Kirby, we need to see him do it at this spot with this group. When the lights are on, you got to see him win one of those big games. And Kyle Field is a legitimate home field advantage. That is a difficult place for enemy for other teams to come to. Probably try and have my friend Jake back on. We had Jake at the end of the college football season last year, right before the college football playoff field was announced. He made the case he is a Texas A&M student. He made the case for why A&M should get into the playoff. Uh, over Notre Dame and it wasn't a terrible argument I think 
I think obviously some of the homerism in homerism in that opinion, but there's a reason he was making that point. And to some degree, I don't totally disagree with him. We know, we knew, we know Notre Dame against these elite schools does not have the offense capable of keeping up with them. A&M was a little bit slow out of the gate last year, even though they had a pretty solid record, even though they did end up going 8-1 and one last year with one game they couldn't play, so... That one loss, of course, coming to Alabama. They won their bowl game. I, I I always, always will err on the side of these kind of teams who have the solid coach who's been there a few years, who's got a full recruiting cycle under his belt, who knows what he wants. And A&M probably the biggest threat to Alabama in the West, the SEC West. I don't know if LSU, who I'm about to talk about, is going to be good enough to compete with them, but... I think it's safe to say that is your clear top three in the pecking order of the SEC. If any of those three teams made the playoff, wouldn't be particularly surprised because it meant that at least one, if not both of them, excuse me, it means one of the three beat at least one, if not two of the other ones. That would tell you that team was clearly the best. And if you get an A&M Georgia SEC title game and one of them won, that would be fine. I'd feel okay with that. I think Georgia is a little bit better than A&M, but I think A&M is right there with them. I think A&M is right there with Georgia, and then both are a little bit behind Alabama. Even though I do have a Georgia future, I say that. Now, beyond those three, there's that next tier down of teams that I think could be good, but probably won't be good. And the two teams I have in this tier are LSU and Florida. For similar reasons, um... Both going with new quarterbacks, both the significant roster turnover, both coming off of weird seasons, because I can't say poor season for Florida, because Florida was the best team in the SEC last year. They just didn't play like it for long periods of time. I think if Florida was fully committed to trying to beat Alabama in that SEC title game and was aggressive from the get-go and trying to go for it on fourth down and trying to score as many points as humanly possible. I think Trask, Kadarius, Tony, and Kyle Pitts were as dynamic a trio of players we've seen in college football in the same offense. And Florida, Florida gave Alabama a run for their money. The final score was only a one-score game for the SEC title. It did, it, And it was never that close in actuality, but the final score reflects that. Florida's going to replace Kyle Trask and Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts. And Emory Jones has been there a while now. I believe he's a redshirt... I believe he's a redshirt junior. And he was in the transfer portal, but Dan Mullen, who I'm going to get to in a second, talked him out of it. And he is not a conventional pocket passer like Kyle Trask. He is going to be having designed runs for him. And that is going to be a key part of the Florida offense is... They were so pass-heavy last year. One of the past-heaviest offenses in all of college football. They are going to get back away from that a little bit because they they have talent, but they're not nearly as talented as they were last year, and they're going to try and maximize what Emory Jones can do. And Emory Jones has some playing time experience. He was used kind of... I don't know if you're old enough to remember when Chris Leak was the Florida starter and Tim Tebow was the backup, and they would bring Tebow in for a couple plays a game, just kind of change of pace type deal. That's what Florida's done with Emory Jones for two years now, and he's gotten in in blowouts. But he's not the most polished passer. 
He definitely needs to improve some of that. I I lost more than one game last year betting on Florida, and they blew a cover late because Emory Jones came into a blowout, and he couldn't put the pedal to the floor and continue expanding the lead. So I'd like to see some consistency from Emory Jones. I'd like to see how – I'm very curious to see how Florida handles taking a step back and what they can end up doing to try and be as dynamic because – Dan Mullen, for all of his faults as a communicator and as a public face of a f- organization, a college, he's a good football coach. Man knew what he wanted on offense last year, and yeah, he was making excuses and being annoying, but fuck, can that man call offense? And like I said, they were pretty damn close to beating Alabama last year, and that's a lot more than I can say than pretty much everybody else in college football last year, if I'm being completely honest. I would like I would like one of these teams to be good just to make the SEC as a whole better. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Florida or LSU, who I'm about to get to, Florida's drain of talent is going to be an issue. Going from Trask, who's one of the best college quarterbacks of the last 10 years, to an Emory Jones is going to be difficult to overcome. Losing a Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, who were both first-round picks because they were that explosive and dynamic of players, going to be difficult to overcome. And the last team I'm going to spend more than a minute or two talking about, of course, the LSU Tigers coach Ed Ogeron, and a team that has pretty much graduated everybody from the Joe Burrow era at this point. There are still a few guys who are floating around. They have probably the number one defensive player in all of college football in Derek Stingley, the defensive back who missed a significant portion of last season due to injury and because he had COVID and LSU season never really recovered from their opening week loss to Mississippi state. And you know how I know, I know shit about college football going into that week one. I looked at all of the games and I went into the group chat I have with the other writers for Gotham Sports Network, which you should all be following. I should have some Mets stuff and some football stuff for this upcoming week on the blog at Gotham SN and GothamSportsNetwork.com, the full web address. But I went in that group chat and said, call me crazy, but I think Mississippi State will be able to hang around with LSU today, maybe even win outright. And this is the defending national champions LSU we're talking about in the swamp. Uh, no, excuse me. At Mississippi State, quarterback Miles Brennan, who's never started a game before for LSU, it's going to be hot and muggy. And we think Mississippi State is going to run an air raid offense with Mike Leach, and they're going to be throwing the ball all over the yard. And KJ Costello had a little bit of Heisman buzz going into last year. Obviously, none of that ended up working out. Mississippi State was pretty mediocre last year. But that first week derailed. LSU season. Bo Pelini, the defensive coordinator, not back. Joe Brady went to the NFL after winning the national title. Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator for that team. He's now the head coach at Baylor. They bring in Jake Peets, I believe is how you pronounce it, to be the offensive coordinator. And one of the features I read in preparation for today's show was talking about how he's really tried to foster a strong relationship with the players on that offense to get them to believe in him and that he knows what they need to be doing offensively for calling plays to put those guys in a position to succeed. I would like LSU to be competitive again. Like I always say when we're talking about sports, regardless of the sport, the more good teams there are, the better as a viewer, the better we get as fans. It's all I want, man. If you told me 
all seven, six of the teams I've talked about thus far are going to be good, and there's going to be a legitimate fight for the SEC, I would be ecstatic as a fan because it would give you more good games to watch as opposed to seeing just seeing if these good teams can cover their spreads against the bad teams. That is what I am talking about. Now, the last group I want to talk about here, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, that tier of team. I have this title of team titled Frisky. These are the teams that, if they strike while the iron's hot, can give one of the good teams a game. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, that team with Matt Corral will give anybody a game. They will not be able to stop anyone on defense. And Matt Corral will throw two stupid interceptions every game. But he could easily throw for 50 touchdowns and 4,500, 5,000 yards. That is how explosive of an offense we're talking about here. If you were not watching Ole Miss games last year, you were missing out on absolutely amazing television because you were seeing Elijah Moore and Matt Corral put on a fucking show every single week in one of the most dynamic, explosive offenses in all of football. And... We saw what Lane Kiffin could do when he was at Alabama as the offensive coordinator and what that Alabama offense was. That That is how you know Lane has kind of grown from the USC, Tennessee. He's grown. He, 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 wrote, he did his penance. He, he learned. He's matured. If he can just keep it focused on the football, that man can call offense with the best of them. And if, as long as you can score points, you can stay in every single game. And Ole Miss will stay in games this season based on their ability to play offense. They will not be able to stop anyone on defense. They haven't in a long time, and they probably never will, and it's probably why they'll never assert themselves into that upper tier of contender. But at the very least, they're going to be frisky every single week because they can put 40 points on the scoreboard. And that's really the threshold here to be competitive in the SEC and to a lesser extent on the national scale is if you can't score 40 points a game, you're not a serious contender because the other teams you're going to be competing with for a playoff spot and in the playoffs against, those teams can score 40 points pretty much at will. And when I say at will, I legitimately mean it. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, that upper echelon tier. Georgia against the bad teams. Georgia hasn't done that against a good team yet. That is what is frustrating. So the last team in this group before I just get a real big picture discussion about the pecking order. I'm talking myself into Kentucky. A a lot of people had been waiting for a second team in that SEC East to kind of get out from under the shadow of Florida and Georgia. There were moments there this decade. South Carolina had a hot minute there. Missouri was decent last year under Eli Drinkwitz. I think Kentucky and Mark Stoops can do this. I think Kentucky... Kentucky is a defense-first team. The last two seasons, they've played remarkably good defense. Hell, three years ago, they beat Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. That's nothing to sneeze at. That Penn State team with Trace McSorley was not terrible. It wasn't that good, but it wasn't a terrible football team. And Kentucky being able to beat them, riding Benny Snell and his stupid mouth guard that made whistling noises... Nothing to sneeze at for a Kentucky program that is still kind of on the younger side of relevance. I mean, 
Kentucky's put a few guys into the league over the last few years. They're going to be a defense-first team. They have Will Levis, the Penn State transfer, coming into the season as their starting quarterback. And Kentucky is slowly but surely on an upward trajectory. I don't know how good they are big picture-wise, but I think they can be competitive in the East just because the rest of the East is so soft once you get past Florida and Georgia. And I know, you know, that's only three other teams, four other teams. They can beat Missouri. They can beat South Carolina and beat Tennessee. If they get into a knife fight, they could hang around with Georgia in a close game. I think they could play good enough defense to hang around. And really quickly, that's already four wins right there. You beat Georgia? That's five. We're, it's not impossible for Kentucky to be relevant this year. I've not, I know I might be eating the cheese a little bit on other people's work, taking what other people have written and said on podcasts and on TV a little bit too much to heart because I'm trying to do research and preparation and I can't possibly go to practices and watch practices. So I want to give the best information possible, but more than one person I have read and listened to has said that Kentucky has the goods to at least be competitive. They might not be good, but they might be able to hang around. And the last group are the No Hopes. The Mississippi States, Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. These are the teams that are in a transition. They have a new coach. They have a second-year coach who are still trying to iron out the Kings turn over the roster with players they've recruited so they're not working with people who don't fit what they want to do. It's a tricky business trying to fit in once you've taken over for someone else's team because you don't have a feel for the players there because you didn't recruit them. And that is why it's so important that these guys get a full cycle if you think they can actually be a good coach. I don't think Mike Leach is going to fit at Mississippi State, just being honest based on how last year went. I know I am a Mike Leach guy. I don't know if his version of what offense is can work with the type of talent he's going to get at Mississippi State and the type of competition Mississippi State is going to play. That air raid works when the other team's defense isn't athletic. In the Pac-12, in the Big 12, that air raid offense worked because none of the defensive backs on the field could tackle. Not a lot of defensive backs can tackle anymore in college football, but the ones in the SEC are at least halfway decent at keeping the ball in front of them. That is what I'll say about Mississippi State. I mentioned it before, Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. Pleasant surprise last year. Not a particularly good team, but not horrendous. Arkansas, another team in this group that newer coach in Sam Pittman, but I just don't know what you're going to get from Arkansas. They're never going to have the talent of these other teams, and it's why they're always going to be towards the bottom of this group. I mean, we saw them with Felipe Franks last year, you know, a bona fide, a decent college quarterback be below average at 3-7 and seven in a 10-game season and all-SEC schedule. Tennessee, I don't think Josh Heupel, the uh, former UCF coach, is going to be able to tap into what Knoxville has waiting there. I've talked about this at a couple of times on this show. I've talked about it with all my friends who watch college football. Tennessee is a dormant giant waiting to be reactivated. They just need the right person to lead it. Josh Heupel, okay, play caller at, floor, at uh, UCF. Never really felt the most confident in his decision-making. Decision-making and play-calling are not the same thing. Decision-making about when to be aggressive, that kind of thing. But 
I hope you've gleaned something from this episode so far, but before I get you out of here, like I've said, I'll just recap it. I think Alabama is clearly your number one. I think Georgia is two, and then I think A&M is three. I think that's the clear upper echelon of teams that could make the college football playoff. I think if any of those three teams won the SEC, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I think all three are certainly capable. They have the coach who's good enough to do it. The next tier down are LSU and Florida, teams that are questionably good, who will be decent college football teams, probably end up somewhere in the top 25, but we're talking about teams with at least two or three losses, some roster turnover, some coaching staff turnover, got some kinks to iron out. And I said this the other day to one of my friends, Ed Ogeron loses this first game at UCLA. He might be on the hot seat as someone who won a national title two years ago. And I know that sounds crazy to say, man, but... LSU is a premier program. It's one of the few teams to win multiple national championships this century. So if LSU doesn't get a turned around with Ed Ogeron this year, he could easily be on the way out less than two years removed from a national title. Florida missed its window. I think last year's Florida team was probably going to be the best crack Dan Mullen was going to have on it. A couple of pretty bad losses down the stretch there. Should have played better in the SEC title game. The loss to Florida in the swamp. Excuse me, the loss to LSU in the swamp where the Florida defensive back chucked the guy's shoe. Just unfortunate. And then that frisky tier, Ole Miss and Kentucky. Teams, I think, if the right situation happens, they could maybe hang with some of the better teams, be able to give them a game, maybe even get a shocking upset. And then the rebuilding slash permanent punching bag tier, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. The teams with not a ton of hope. You win your non-conference games. Maybe you steal one conference game. And you go back to the drawing board for next year. And that's what those teams' year is about. Finding out who's going to be on the team next year and if our coach is going to be the same guy next year. So that'll just about do it for today's show. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you learned a little bit of something. We're going to talk Big Ten tomorrow. The Big Ten is probably the conference I have the best handle on just because it's the one I probably... I, I can't say watch the most, but it's probably the one I know the teams the best in, where even though I watch as many of the SEC, Pac-12, ACC, big uh, games, I just feel I have a better grasp on the Big Ten because I care so much about how Penn State does because it matters so much to my girlfriend that if Penn State loses, the rest of my weekend is going to be spent consoling Katie and... It's a tough one, opening weekend, going to Camp Randall at Wisconsin, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will see you guys then.